The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome to December. You know, usually for me, that means getting into a childlike state and being so excited and running down to Macy's in Herald Square the very first day that all of those decorations are up and all of those beautiful signs that say, believe. But I got to tell you this year, it's a little bit harder to be married. So what I'm trying to do to combat the lack of merriment in the world at large is to make each episode of the Main Street Vegan program in the month of December, a beautiful holiday gift all wrapped up and tied with a ribbon just for you. Hey everybody, I'm Victoria Moran, your host. What a pleasure to be with you today. And this is going to be a fabulous month here on the Main Street Vegan radio show and podcast. This week, Oh, I'm so excited. You're going to have to wait a minute or two to hear from her. But my guest is not even arguably the most important human being who has ever lived in the arena of animal rights and animal ethics, Ingrid Newkirk of PETA. And it stays that good because next week we're going to have the person who is regarded as the ultimate top authority in all the world on plant-based nutrition, T. Colin Campbell, PhD. And on the third Wednesday, we're going to have a party. We are going to celebrate a new book coming out, The Veg News Guide to to Being a Fabulous Vegan, with its authors, uh, Jasmine Singer and Colleen Holland of Veg News. And we're going to invite fabulous friends, other authors, other people who really know what it's like to launch a book out there into the world and see if it sets the world on fire. So this is going to be great. And it's starting right now with 
a guest who needs no introduction. She's been on twice before, and I think both of those times I probably said something like, this is Ingrid Newkirk, she needs no introduction. But I was thinking today, that would be like saying, this is Oprah Winfrey, she's on TV. Yeah, she needs no introduction, but her background is interesting anyway. So I did a little bit of snooping on Ingrid, and I'm going to read you something from the PETA site and then bring her on. Since founding PETA, President Ingrid Newkirk has grown the group into the world's largest animal rights organization. She has spoken internationally on animal rights issues from the steps of the Canadian Parliament to the streets of New Delhi and from the drowning tanks of Taiwan to the halls of the U.S. Congress. Ingrid was born in Surrey, England, and lived in Europe until she was seven when she and her parents moved to New Delhi, where her father worked as a navigational engineer and her mother volunteered for Mother Teresa and various charities. Ingrid's early volunteer experiences, packing pills and rolling bandages for people who were suffering from leprosy, stuffing toys for orphans and feeding stray animals informed her view that anyone in need of any species is worthy of concern. Welcome, Ingrid Newkirk. Thank you, Victoria. Delighted to be here. And I must say that there are things to be very joyous about this season. Goody, tell us some. <laughs> well, I mean, the pandemic is ghastly. It's wretched. There aren't enough adjectives to go along with the bad part of it. But on the Julie Andrews side of being positive, there have also been some good things that have come about because of it. Um, one of the things is I believe that the end of fur, which had been pushed over to the edge of the cliff, I think it's going to now be over the cliff. I don't think the fur farms are coming back. You know, I mean, here we go to the macabre, but you know that minks have been now destroyed by the millions in Sweden and in Italy and even in Utah and Washington State here, but all over the globe because they have been shown to not only contract COVID-19 from human beings who work in those factory fur farms, but also to mutate the virus and pass it back in a different form. They've been killed and that's awful. But remember this, they're killed every year, over and over and over again, terrible cycle. I think so many fur farms are closing and this threat is so big that the end of fur farming may be at hand. So it, it's a dismal thing, but it's also a wonderful thing that will come about as a result of this. No more minks and foxes and all the other animals may end up being killed every year for fur. Oh, that, that is a wonderful thing. I love to watch vintage movies. And some of the things that I see there that just seem so out of place now, almost everybody smokes, certainly all the male characters, and almost all the women wear very visible furs, often with heads attached. And we've grown past that, and I am just thrilled to hear you say here that we are finally growing out of it. So uh, just like uh, smoking out on the corner, you look at somebody and say, gosh, people still do that. 
Yes, yes I, I recently, for some reason or the other, had occasion to watch The Man from Uncle. Do you remember that series? I do. Oh my goodness, that'll take you down memory lane. <laughs> that used to be ordinary. And if you look at it now, not only are people smoking as if there was nothing else to do, it was like inhaling oxygen, but the women were treated as so helpless, hopeless, marginal dumbos who were good only to seduce men. And then again, of course, animals were in the show for entertainment, if at all. So yes, times have changed and we have to keep pushing the envelope so that they keep changing. What do you think about change, Ingrid? Do you think that if we just sat around and did nothing but enjoy ourselves, that over time these things would change or would they just revert back to the worst they've ever been? Do we have to keep working? Is that important? Oh boy, do we ever. <laughs> yes, we have to keep nodding, nudging, prodding, nagging, all those sorts of things and enlightening too. Because I remember when I did so many things that I would never do now, and it took someone to give me a jolt, to give me a new thought, to challenge what I thought or what I did. And so I am forever grateful to those people. I don't think I would ever have even spayed my cat because I'd never been to an animal shelter. And somebody luckily said to me, gosh, do you know all the homeless animals in the world because people are thoughtlessly? And I said the usual things people do say, which is, but I'll find homes for them all. And they said, yes, well, then you're depriving the cats in the shelter who already exist and need homes of homes. And it, it opened my eyes. And so I think we can't assume that people know what are now to us the most elementary things. And we have to help them make easy changes, make it convenient for them. We must agitate, yes. Well, you are the uh, agitator in chief. <laughs> and you have you've always done it with, with such class and such courage. And some of the things that PETA has done over the years, not everybody has been thrilled about. And yet you've always managed to get attention and you've always managed to think, make things better for animals. And the latest thing that I saw that you did was an absolutely enchanting walking tour of your adopted hometown, Washington, DC. So tell us about that. Where do you go and what's historic? Well, it was a brisk walk. It was a 12 mile walk and I had great fun doing it. We started off at Peter headquarters, which is just about seven blocks north of the White House. So I can look out of the uh, gate and I can look down and I can see Melania feeding the pigeons. Actually, she doesn't. We feed them at our office. <laughs> but I started out by saying, you know, 16th Street that we're on, very famous highway. It ends at the bottom by the White House with the Black Lives Matter Plaza. That used to be a dirt path from Maryland down into Washington. And where our office is situated now, there used to be a stream. I think it's way under the ground now. They've built up on it. And people used to bring cattle to be killed there because of the water. And of course, now it's an animal rights headquarters. So times have changed. 
I went down to the Martin Luther King uh, Memorial, and you know he has on the wall that wonderful saying that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And I pointed that out to the camera, and I turned around, and there's the tidal basin. And one of our staff once went out on the tidal basin on a little float dressed as a mermaid to protest that the Fish and Wildlife Department of the federal government was encouraging children to go fishing. And she said, look, even fish have feelings. They should be your friends, not your food. And they're not there to be hooked. Their lips are very sensitive. I went to the Lincoln Memorial. That's a favorite of mine. Great exercise running up the steps. And of course, fabulous view if you turn around. There is the Washington Monument. There's the Long Water, uh, where Martin Luther King and others have come and protested. The Million Man March was there. And I recalled how Lincoln loved his pig. They had a pet pig. And his father killed that pig. And he said, that was my best friend. And he never got over it. And he also said that protecting animals and protecting human beings, that's the way of the whole person. He was for animal rights. He actually used the expression animal rights. And of course, when the King of Siam said that he was going to donate two elephants from Thailand to come to Washington, Lincoln said, don't do it, please, I don't want them. I don't want these wonderful animals to spend the rest of their lives in a zoo. So those were just a few of the stops, and there were many more. Oh, they're wonderful. Can you just tell one more story? This was fascinating to me. The one about the dog who was there when Ronald Reagan was shot. Oh, well, uh, one of my first stops was at the Washington Hilton Hotel. And I had been the pound master. That's actually what it was called. Today, it would be the director of the animal shelter. But I was the pound master, the first female and the first lay person to be pound master. And I had come up to the building opposite the Hilton that morning that Reagan was shot to do some Xeroxing with my dog, Miss B. And we had done our Xeroxing. And we were leaving the building. We saw all these police cars everywhere. But it's Washington. We thought nothing of it. We went back to the dog pound. 20 minutes later, Ronald Reagan came there and was shot. And the Secret Service man was shot. And Tom Brady was shot. And an officer there, a wonderful officer, um, who was a Metropolitan Police officer, was there. He was shot too. They all survived. And he had with him a dog I had given him, who he had called Kirk after me, or half of me. And Kirk was a German shepherd who uh, had been thrown away, given to the dog pound by people, and had potential. And I had given him to this officer because the Metropolitan Police keep their dogs at home. They're not in a kennel. They're at home with them. They sleep on the bed the whole nine yards. So the officer, Delahanty, who had Kirk, retired. He was disabled from being shot. And he retired from the force. And of course, Kirk went with him to retirement. They had a massive party 
all the police dogs came, they're all friends. And what I said in the film is all I remember that day is the dogs joyously jumping into the Delahanty swimming pool. <laughs> That's the most beautiful image. What could be sweeter than dogs swimming? <laughs> Love it. They had a while, we're, while we're in historic mode, and we're going to get to the present day really quick, but of all of PETA's tremendous accomplishments on behalf of animals, is there one that is just the shining glory that you are just so proud of that if it were the only one, your life would have still been very, very worthwhile? Well, there are many, Victoria, uh, honestly. And I wouldn't say proud so much as just glad, so glad that things happened and there were victories. And I can think of quite a few, but perhaps the first major one was back in 1980, the very year that we were formed, when we conducted the first ever raid on a laboratory and were able to remove 17 macaque monkeys who had had surgery done on their backs so as to render their arms, one or both, useless. The surgeries had been carried out by a psychologist with no medical training, no veterinary training whatsoever. And then he tortured, and that's the word for it, tortured the monkeys to force them to use their bad arms. We raided the place. We got the animals out. The police came and took them out. We put him on trial. He was charged with cruelty to animals. His grant was suspended, another first. The NIH had never suspended a grant for cruelty to animals. He lost that grant, another first. The lab was closed. The monkeys were taken away. And the night of that raid, I remember everybody was having a party. And I was so relieved that it had happened that I just went to bed. <laughs> I just couldn't believe the whole thing was over. It was just such a relief. Oh, but that changed a lot. It, animal experiments are still going on. There are so many of them, and we're still fighting so many, and we need everybody's help for that. Terrible things are being done. But every week, something happens where we change, whether it's um, herbal essences going cruelty-free, not selling in China, or it's the FDA deciding that we're right and they don't have to use thousands of rabbits every year to test chemicals, or whatever it is, the forced swim test that we get companies like Pfizer to stop using. Uh, we have a lot of work to do. And this year, what is your very, very favorite Peter, accomplishment. This year, that's terribly hard. I, that's a terribly hard question. I think, and it, it, it doesn't sound really that exciting, but it's building the youth movement. We have started the um, SOS, and it's um, Students Opposed to Speciesism, SOS. And these are uh, groups totally youth-led they're on campuses or during COVID, they're off campuses. Some of them are back and they are leading demonstrations. They're educating each other. They're giving talks online to say human supremacy is just the same as male supremacy, racial supremacy, white supremacy. All these supremacist ideas 
have to melt away and we have to see ourselves as one big family respecting each other, being kind to each other, regardless of race, gender, color, religion, or species. I love that. So talk a little bit about speciesism. We know the, the term, and yet it seems that it, it's a very complex idea. This morning I, I told you I, I was at the vet with my dog. He had an emergency situation, so we went to a vet in the neighborhood where it is in our, our regular vet. So I, I was there for four hours for there to be an opening for, for them to see my dog. And while I was there all this time watching people come in with their dogs and their cats, the love, the amount of sacrifice people were willing to do financially to get their dog or their cat taken care of, it was the kind of love that you would see in a hospital with parents and children. And yet, I'm pretty sure that most of those people, you know, went out to lunch and had, you know, a ham sandwich or a burger or something like that. How do we get speciesism to, to be healed in people who don't think they're speciesist? Well, it's always been the same fight. I mean, racism, if you look back, extraordinary things were said and done. I mean, still there are problems. But what was normal, what was acceptable was so outrageous. And the same with, we were talking about the man from uncle and the way that women were patronized, where women were uh, coddled. They were thought to be, you know, the thing is, uh, a woman's place is, is in the kitchen or the bedroom. I mean, this was really considered quite normal. And before that, of course, women couldn't own property. They could be beaten by their husbands. They had no rights. It takes chipping away. It takes saying things always. And it can be done. I think most people just haven't thought about it because I don't think anybody would have wanted to be discriminatory or to have these appalling biases. They just didn't realize they had them. So you see people who love their animals but are patronizing, condescending. And that's, of course, animals, the least of their problems. But yes, we have to break down these barriers by challenging them, saying to people, hang on a minute, if you wouldn't eat your cat, why are you eating a chicken? If you wouldn't eat the canary or the a budgie or the parrot, the, why on earth would you eat a chicken? They're all birds. If you've got some birds down pat, what about the others? You know, uh, Hope Bukmutcher, so wonderful, she's gone now. And of course, you know Dr. Ned, she was his mother. And Dr. Ned is a fabulous, kind veterinarian. And one day she was on her country place and she saw a hunter. She was appalled, she said to him, look, my property is posted, no hunting, you can't come in here, what are you doing? He said, I'm shooting quail, I think it was. And she said, that's atrocious. And she let him have it. And he said, Madam, do you eat chicken? And at that point, she did. And she said, yes. And he said, well, a quail is a chicken. It's just, I do it quickly out here with a gun. And you go and pay somebody to slit their throats in a slaughterhouse. And from that moment on, she connected the dots. 
And I think that's what we have to help people do is connect the dots because you just haven't thought about things in the way you need to think about them. And animals, we're all animals. We're in this together. They're not children. You know, I say, people say my fur baby, it's very nice, but they really aren't your fur baby. They're an individual. They're usually grown up. They've got thoughts. They're watching you. They're figuring things out. They're very clever, but we have them in such a limited capacity that their abilities are probably often not obvious to us, but they're very, very clever. That's a very interesting story about hope. And it was maybe within the past eight weeks, we had the uh, dietitian Brenda Davis on. And she had a similar story, apologies. My dog barks when the bird flaps his wings. That's how it is. Sorry. Listen. <laughs> it's fine. But anyway, Brenda Davis was actually invited into vegetarianism by being challenged by a hunter. And it seems that sometimes people who aren't yet vegan, who aren't identified as us, <laughs> can maybe influence people more. How can we be out there and you do it so beautifully. I mean, you're PETA and yet I've seen you walk up to people on the street and they listen to you with respect. How does that work? Well, sometimes it works, <laughs> sometimes it doesn't, but you've got to give it a try. I mean, there are mean people who will react badly, but I don't mind that. I certainly don't mind if anyone argues with me because when they argue, they're giving you the inside of their head. They're telling you the reasons they don't agree with you, and that gives you the perfect entree to be able to address exactly their biases, exactly their misconceptions, their myths, or whatever their prejudices are. So it's a gift if someone argues with you. Not as great a gift as if they accept what you're saying right off the bat, but if they argue with you, take it as a good thing. It's not a personal attack. And as long as you're not attacking them personally, you're just trying to talk the issue through, I think it's all going to be fine. Even if they reject it outright, I always think they play those tapes over again in their head when they go home. They'll relive that conversation. And I know if someone has made fun of me, for challenging them ever so nicely about something. They'll tell their friends, they'll tell their family, they'll repeat the, do you know what she said to me? Do you know what she thinks? She believes, and thank you, you are now passing that on to other people. And maybe one out of 10 or 100 will think, actually, she might have something there. Well, I would just love to be a meat eater who ran into Ingrid Newkirk on the street and was uh, converted by someone so eloquent. So we will be back after our break and we're going to talk about all sorts of magnificent things. But mostly we're going to find out what does Ingrid Newkirk want this holiday season. Stay with us. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? 
Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for being part of our very first holiday season program, a wonderful interview with Ingrid Newkirk. So if you're new and don't know what we're about here at Main Street Vegan, do check out MainStreetVegan.net. And if you'd like to hear from us and get our blog and newsletter, just text the word vegan, V-E-G-A-N, to 55444. That's vegan to 55444. And when you're at the site, do check out Main Street Vegan Academy. This is a rigorous, complete, and unparalleled training program at the end of which you will become a certified vegan lifestyle coach and educator. This means you're an authority in the vegan space. And our graduates are writing books for major publishers. They're consulting for plant-based food companies. They're all over the place doing incredible things. And isn't that what we all want to be doing? We want a vegan world that will save animals, prevent pandemics, and heal the planet. There is just nothing at all wrong with it. So uh, do check out MainStreetVegan.net or just uh, give us a text, vegan, to 55444. And now we are back with the inimitable Ingrid Newkirk. Now, I don't know if we call it quite a New Year's resolution, but you really do want to end speciesism. So how can we help you do that? Ah. You can help by every time you hear someone or see someone do something that indicates they don't realize the worth, the wonder of the animal they're referring to or eating or wearing, you say something. And you can say, oh gosh, you know, if it's fur, which it rarely is these days, but if you say, oh gosh, you know, I used to really like fur, but then I found out and tell them what you found out, how the animals suffer and say, so I just feel obligated now to, to mention it when I see somebody in it. Um, if you're in the grocery store, I'm always talking to people in the grocery store. You know, I'm English. We're supposed to be reserved. And I used to be so embarrassed when my mother would speak to strangers. She was very friendly. And I would think, oh, mommy, don't speak to that person. You don't know them. But now I'm that person. And so I say, oh, I see you have the free range eggs. Said so you must be really kind to have gone to that trouble. And they usually are proud of it. And then I'll say, but I hate to tell you 
I hate to burst the illusion, but you know, we've been at PETA into those sheds and it's just an advertising gimmick. Luckily, no one needs eggs now, so we don't need to put hens through that. Or I say to the person who is checking me out very loudly, not obviously loudly, but loudly enough, is, oh, this oat milk, it's just fantastic. I had no idea. You just keep it cold. It's wonderful. And no cholesterol. Who could imagine that? So I am sort of one of those annoying people who is always talking up the issue. And I urge everyone to seize every opportunity. And there are lots of them. And you can create them to think how you can interject understanding of animals and change people's impressions about how they're kept, how they're treated, and who they are, because they are jaw-droppingly impressive, each and every one of them. I love that. And you already have all these wonderful young people joined on, and we'll get some older people joined on too. That's a beautiful, beautiful aim. The ending of speciesism and how people act on that, well, they'll just figure that out but to end that way of seeing the world. What an accomplishment. Well, Victoria, I think one of the key things is to make sure that they stop seeing animals as things and they see them as individuals because that's who they are. They stop thinking of them as hamburgers or handbags or coats that just haven't been sliced up or shoes or they start thinking of themselves as one among many animals. And just as, you know, somebody, what was it, Dr. Zeus, or was it, or Dr. Doolittle, I think, who said, if you put on suede or leather, fur or feathers, or feathers or feathers, have you ever thought you might be in somebody's brother or somebody's mother? Mm. And that's true. All animals have friends, they have family, they're somebody's child. And we have to stop seeing them as things to wear and eat and things to entertain ourselves with and so on, but see them as just like us. They are. Exactly. And, and I think to be aware of it, because we're, we're all, I think, just so used to the way people talk. Just this morning in this veterinarian's office, the, the vet and the techs were saying, get the owner. Who's the owner? Where's the owner? And I'm like, oh, I don't own anybody. <laughs> and... Yet, I presume that other people sitting there just thought that was normal. Yeah. So, to speak who is up. The, who is the master? I mean, how, how long has it been since you've heard master? And there's the master of the foxhounds in England. And of course, that's all illegal now. But yeah. it's always this master uh, uh, domination kind of feeling about the others in the world. And so, owner, master, all this has to go. All right. We are going to work on that for this coming year. So, Ingrid, what do you want for Christmas? Oh, aside from peace on earth, respect <laughs> for all life, a kinder world, all those things. I want NIH to stop using animals, to stop using monkeys and other animals in experiments, and they can do it. I mean, the brilliant thing now is we have this plan. It's called the Research Modernization Deal. We've sent it to every member of Congress. We've sent it to NIH and NIMH, mental health. 
and said, here's a track, a path. You can substitute a non-animal method for this animal experiment. And it's everything from organs on a chip to whole human DNA to an artificial lung to all these wonderful things that are far more sophisticated. So that's one thing I want is people to demand the RMD, the Research Modernization Deal and Badger, I don't think I'm allowed to say that actually, NAG, N-I-H, to get rid of animal experiments. That's one thing. Um, I definitely think an easy thing I'd like for Christmas is for Costco has done the right thing. Kroger has not done the right thing. Albertsons has not done the right thing. Get rid of that um, Ch Chowco coconut milk that they sell. Get it off the shelves. Everybody can complain about it because it's picked by monkeys who are kept in chains for their whole lives, don't have a life at all, have their teeth taken out. The head of Elbertson's just told us he talked to the um, Chocow company and he understands the monkeys enjoy the work. Oh. <laughs> and you think, could you think about that for five seconds or watch our video? So I'd like him to have a change of heart for Christmas for sure. And there are things in the catalog I'd like too. Spell that company, Ingrid, so that people know not to purchase that. It's C-H-O, C-H-A-O, K-O-H. K-O-H. Okay, Something I have like heard that. about that. K-O-H, yeah. Okay. And are there any other companies involved in this, or is this the main one? This is the main one. It's the number one importer of coconut milk from, from Thailand. And now so many wonderful companies have said, all right, we're not, we've seen the video. Peter got a video in Asia, and we're not, we're not going to sell it anymore. But Albertsons and Kroger, shame on you. Absolutely. So for people who just want to buy things for other people, I think PETA has some fun gifts. What are some of your favorite <laughs> amusements from the PETA catalog? Well, Victoria, we have a little fun every year with the calendar. We, we, with the catalog, we have wonderful things for dogs, for cats, for human beings, and you can sponsor animals and you can sponsor a doghouse for a cold dog in an impoverished area who has maybe a metal barrel or a piece of tin up against the fence. You can do all those things and it's wonderful. Peter.org, go to the catalog, go to Mark's shop. You just press shop and you'll find a wealth of things. But the fun things we did this year include, we have a scented candle with wet dog scent. <laughs> so, so if you remember what it's like when your dog comes out of a pond or a swamp, and shakes all over you, you can replicate that by buying the wet dog candle. If you're not as adventurous and you want something fun, you can buy the tofu scented candle, which of course is unscented. It doesn't have a scent at all. And in fact, we have a whole selection of tofu themed things a tofu t-shirt, which is simply a white cotton shirt. We have a tofu calendar, which shows a block of tofu traveling the world. 
uh, sitting outside the pyramids on a sled by the Eiffel Tower. There are some really ridiculous things, and we have practical things too. We have a coyote protective, um, or well, it's dog protective anti-coyote shirt, which looks like one of those 1960s mohawk haircuts that you put on your dog when you take him into a wooded area in certain areas where there are a coyote, all sorts of wonderful things. Oh, it sounds great. So is this Peter Mall, or where do we go to find this? Just go to peter.org, press shop, and you'll find the mall and the catalog. And of course, there are books, there are necklaces, there are scents and cosmetics. There's, there's everything. We've got wonderful business friends. Ah. That's a tremendous organization. Main Street Vegan is, is one of your PETA business friends. And one thing that I will say to anybody out there in business, whether you're with a big company or whether you're a solopreneur, when you join PETA business friends, you have got friends. I mean, these people are so helpful and so loyal it's it's really a beautiful thing. I think a lot of us join PETA Business Friends because we think, oh, well, that'll be nice. And it's another way to support an organization that we believe in. And then this this lovely young man, Christopher Mero, who heads it up, just swoops in and becomes just like the you've just rubbed the lamp and the genie is there saying, what can I do for you? So, uh, yeah, business people, do, do check out PETA Business Friends. You will be so, so glad that you did. So you've got Celebrating coming up, the 40th anniversary of People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. What's going to happen then? Well, it's December the 12th, and it's our 40th anniversary party. And we're going to make it really, really special this year. I can't tell you exactly the secret of what we're going to do. It will be virtual, um, but it, it will be lots of surprises. Dolly Parton is playing a part in it. Mariah Carey is in it. Um, the wonderful stalwart supporters we have, like Edie Falco, James Cromwell, Alec Baldwin, Pamela Anderson, uh, Lily Tomlin. There'll be lots of things. Jermaine Dupree will be getting an award. Iggy Pop's getting an award. It's just going to be great fun. There's some singing. People can dance in their living rooms. And if somebody is a special sponsor, and I'm not sure what that level is, there are various levels, they will get delivered to their home this phenomenal basket, or actually it's a huge box, that has layers of Peter Business Friends goodies in it. <laughs> uh, wonderful things. And this just very attractive 40th anniversary bag to take shopping with you. Oh, and congratulations. You don't look a day over 39. <laughs> so I, I want to ask you something a little bit personal, because I know that you are a, an atheist in your worldview, and yet you contributed the most beautiful chapter and the foreword to Sharon Gannon's book, Yoga and Veganism. And yoga is a spiritual thing. So tell us where you are with that whole deal. Well, Victoria, I mean, who knows, really? Some of us think there's nothing, some of us think there's someone, and some of us think other things in between. Um, I find it rather incredible to believe in a God, so I don't. But it doesn't really matter, because I just believe in compassion. I believe in kindness. I believe in decency. 
And I think that we need to be respectful. If you have a God you think is love, it fits in with that. Um, I mean, it's just being good to each other. Uh, my mother always said, as I think you know, it doesn't matter who suffers, but that they suffer and how you can help them. And if anything is my religion, I think it's that. Because that's, maybe you call that spiritual, I don't know. Um, I'm no good at yoga, I can tell you that. <laughs> well, I think of yoga as as a way of life that is ideally and in its essence based on ahimsa, which is just what you described. I think Gandhi said the same thing, compassion is my religion. So uh, that's beautiful. But yeah. I, I, loved, I loved what you had to say on, um, in, in Sharon's book and also that all of us who contributed chapters actually read our own chapters <laughs> in, in her audio book. And I know they just released another audio vision, version. So anybody who's into yoga, do check out Yoga and Veganism. And anybody who's interested in animals, uh, Animal Kind is Ingrid Newkirk's most recent book. She was on last January talking about that. And the paperback is coming in January. So tell us a little bit about the book for people who weren't here in January. Well, um, it premiered, as you said, or launched or whatever you call it, last January, the hardback. And that's still, of course, available. Um, I had hoped it would come out for Christmas, but at least we have the hardback for this Christmas, so I'm pushing it for that. Um, it's a two-parter. The first part is about the remarkable abilities of animals, ones you're familiar with, ones you've never met and may never, um, exotic animals, domesticated animals, just their extraordinary communication skills, how they figure out how to let you know if they need to, that there's something they they have to have, or uh, they, they listen to you if they're in your home. Um, they watch very carefully everything humans do and try to figure out how to fit into our world. Even if they're in the woods, they have to be careful. Just this week, I think we heard about yet another uh, highway overpass that has been built for animals so that they don't have to cross a major highway and they have learned how to use it. They, they've figured it out. They've sat and they've, you can imagine them watching to figure out how can I use this? Is it safe to use? Uh, being timidly putting that first hoof or foot on it and then going across and learning to use it as their highway. Um, I talk about their navigation skills, uh, their parenting skills, the wonders of love that birds show each other. And um, I learned a lot. I think I may have told you one of my favorite things is that I learned that um, reindeer have blue eyes in winter and yellow eyes in summer, and that they manufacture their own vitamin D. How clever is that? We're all told now that women must take vitamin D. Uh, it might help stave off um, COVID. Um, I, a lot of things about how they know in advance that things are going to happen. The elephants in Thailand before the tsunami who pulled up their chains out of the ground and headed for the hills. Not uh, some, some hallucinatory, some you know, psychic power. They heard with their acute hearing the rumbles of that water touching the bottom of the sea as the waves came in. They knew way before anybody could see anything. And there are birds 
who have fled their nests when nobody knew anything else was happening and flown hundreds of miles away only for us to discover that massive tornado systems days later came and tore through that area and then they return after it. So the first part is all about that sort of thing. And the second part is what we can do knowing that we are sharing the world with vastly intelligent, emotional, social, wonderful other beings. Mm, this is a wonderful gift. So go ahead and get the hardcover. How many hardcovers does a person get in his life? And that you can give it to somebody who, who is an animal lover. And most people who love animals eat animals. <laughs> Some little door is open there. And uh, this beautiful book, Animal Kind, should open it uh, even wider. So you're, you're there in D.C. and you're working with the... Uh, the government agencies all the time. And I'm sure that, you know, there are all kinds of people coming there, lobbyists and everybody, they want this and they want that, and they just want the opposite thing from what somebody else just wanted. What happens when you show up with an animal issue? Well, it's awfully hard to get a piece of federal legislation through of any kind. But to get a piece of animal legislation through is almost impossible. Cory Booker, you know, of course, has um, an anti-factory farming piece of legislation that he's trying to push. Hopefully that'll be reintroduced. Um, we have had bills up there to try to end the import of trophy heads and horns and things like that. Remember Cecil the lion? That sort of rubbish is still going on. These poor animals are still being killed by these pleasure-seeking, ultra-rich trophy tourists in Africa and where have you. But you can't get the bill passed. It's, um, it's stuck there. You've got places like Safari Club International and the Trump sons are members of that and actually sell tours with them and their sons to go places. Um, so you, I think it's the grassroots more than anything um, that you have to work on, the man at the bus stop, the person in the grocery store, the student. We have to change it. And finally in Congress, we have quite a few vegans and vegetarians. And we have some people who are opposed to animal experiments. That whole ground is shifting. But Victoria, I must tell you, one reason that um, I... <laughs> I think about Donald Trump is because he runs the first sparrow sanctuary in, in the United States, if not in the world. And I don't think he knows he does. But his hotel, which is down um, on Pennsylvania Avenue, if you sit in the lobby, which I did to meet somebody in politics when he first came into office, sparrows seek shelter from the winter and get inside the hotel. It used to be the old post office. And so the whole interior is empty. It's, you can go up four or five stories in it um, and the birds fly up and down. They sit on the railings, they go to the cafe, they eat people's bowls of nuts, they drink Perrier. It's really kind of warm and lovely. 
Well, this is beautiful. And I, I know that as a nonprofit station, we don't do anything political, but we can certainly point out when anyone in politics or anyone in any other field is doing something wonderful for animals, as we should all be doing. So finally, Ingrid, thank you so much for this, this wonderful time together. So just in our last three minutes, as we approach 2021, what are you most excited about? Maybe somewhere far, far away from the United States, something that you're doing that just could be miraculous for some animal. Well, that's an easy question to answer because we are working in India, have been for years, but we have a new project. Um, for the last two years, we have been uh, absolutely determined to relieve beasts of burden. And those are the bullocks who pull the heavy carts laden with bricks and iron and all lumber and the poor horses who are half starved, often stumbling, sometimes blind in one eye, who go through the streets of Old Delhi and Mumbai uh, hauling things. And they're not treated well. Nobody has the money for veterinary care. We are mechanizing, providing eco-tractors to swap for those animals. And then we have a sanctuary, and we're hoping to open up another one in, in the outskirts of Delhi. Uh, we have one on the other side of the country. And there, these animals who've never seen um, the, the open sky, who've never been able to lie under a shady bush, never been free to live their lives, always felt the whip or the nose rope, are retired. And we have, we're doing the same with donkeys, the donkeys who bring the sand out of the riverbeds and who pull the bricks in the kilns. And we are retiring them. We have 240 already out in the Nilgiri Hills, playing in the sunshine, grazing, enjoying each other's company. So mechanization project in India. Oh, that's fantastic. Now to support that, do we just donate to PETA or do we go to PETA India? Do we earmark that in some way? You can do either, actually. Thank you for mentioning it. Um, PETA.org, you can, uh, or if you're sending money in, you can earmark it. Uh, just tell us what you want it for. And we're very, very happy to have everyone's support. And the donkeys and the bullocks and the ponies are happy too. Oh, bless you, Ingrid. That was my biggest surprise going to India to see what happens with those animals. So it's certainly um, something that's close to my heart. And you are close to my heart. I just cannot tell you the level of admiration that I have for you. If reincarnation is true, <laughs> I want to come back as you. <laughs> thank you, you PETA. Thanks to Unity Online Radio. And thanks to you, our listeners. May the higher power bless you and your veggies. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, 
They don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcast.